Good morning, Christ Central. My name is Peter, and I get to serve as one of the pastors here. And it really is surreal standing here in an empty sanctuary once again. Uh, but trusting God's sovereignty, uh, we accept that this is part of the rhythm of COVID and post-COVID. Uh, but even though we're all virtual today, or at least most of us, uh, we really do look forward to a gathering in person again next Sunday. Before we get to our sermon, I want to take a minute and invite you to um, the Tyson's Church Plant Interest Meeting taking place in a couple weeks. As many of you already know, our church has been and is dreaming and praying to plant a daughter church in the Tyson's area. And we're doing this because we want to see the brokenness in Northern Virginia and the brokenness in, around, and near Tyson's restored through the hope of the gospel. We want to see the unchurched and de-churched find Jesus not only relevant, but irresistible. We want to see lives changed, the city flourish, and generations impacted. And I'm so excited that our church is doing this because I'm convinced that our church has the best people to go out and be his body together and to build his kingdom together. I'm convinced that our church has incredibly gifted people, passionate people, kingdom-minded people that will expect great things from God as we attempt great things for God. I'm convinced that if any church can begin a gospel movement to disciple more and more people as we plant more and more Christ-centered churches, that it's our church. So I want to invite you to hear more and dream with us at our interest meeting taking place on October 31. We're going to meet both after the 9 a.m. and after the 11 a.m. service in the large NPR. We'll have food and refreshments for you, and I promise it'll be just one hour. So please register on the Church Center app, and I hope to see many of you there. We're in a new sermon series called Being the Church, and we're looking to the book of Acts as we read about the early church to show us and remind us what it, about what it truly means to be the church for the glory of Christ and the good of our neighbors. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Acts. We'll be reading chapters 5, verses 12 through 16 as we read about signs and wonders. Starting from verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them." The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. This is the word of the Lord. Some of you, like me, may have grown up in churches where um, charismatic gifts were practiced. And, uh, and so what we're going to be asking today is, what purpose did these gifts serve in the New Testament, and what value does it have for us today. But before, I, we, I, before we, I begin, I want to add the caveat that today's sermon is not meant to comprehensively explain our church's position on the charismatic gifts. Charismatic gifts are special and extraordinary spiritual gifts that God gave the church, and it comprises the gifts of revelation and the gifts of power. Gifts of revelation are gifts like prophecy and the gift of tongues, 
And these are word gifts because they reveal God's word and his will. But these gifts aren't addressed in our passage, so we won't be addressing them this morning. But I do want to encourage you to uh, tune in to our central talk in November, where we'll be discussing more about these gifts. Today, we'll be focusing on the gifts of power, which comprise signs, wonders, and miraculous works. And what we're going to see in our story today is that signs, wonders, and miraculous works of the early church adorned the gospel message. And we'll see how it adorned the gospel as we look at how these works of signs and wonders, first, depended on the Savior's power, second, demonstrated the Savior's authority, and third, were devoted to the Savior's love. Signs and wonders that the early church performed adorned the gospel and adorned the gospel by first depending on the Savior's power. And we know that they were dependent on the Savior's power as we look at the definition of signs and wonders as well as some biblical examples. First, the definition of signs and wonders. Verse 12 uh, tells us that signs and wonders were regularly done among the people. In the New Testament, Signs are extraordinary events or acts that serve as evidence of divine power. Wonders translates from the Greek term from which the word terror comes, and it describes something unusual that causes the beholder to marvel. Both signs and wonders are considered miracles, and in the Christian faith, miracles are God's work of extraordinary power. Not all miracles are signs and wonders, but all signs and wonders are miracles. And the signs and wonders performed by the early church were completely dependent on the Savior's power. There's no way that ordinary people could, could perform signs and wonders by their own ability or their own power. We believe miracle, miracles are possible because we believe that God sovereignly controls the whole world. He has a power to do whatever he pleases. And in his pleasure and wisdom, at least for a season, specifically when the church was first born, signs and wonders were prevalent. Our passage tells us that they were regularly done among the people. So signs and wonders were powerful miracles that were regularly performed. Second, what are some biblical examples of signs and wonders? In the Old Testament, there are about 50 recorded signs and wonders. Some examples are when God sent 10 plagues to Egypt, God spoke through a donkey, God destroyed the Jericho wall, God divided the Red Sea, God raised the dead son of the Zarephath widow, God made the sun go backwards, God struck Zauzah dead, and God rescued Jonah using a giant fish. In the New Testament, there are almost the same number of signs and wonders recorded. In the Gospels, we read about Jesus turned water into wine. Jesus calmed the storm in the Sea of Galilee. Jesus walked on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus feed 5,000 men. And many, many more miracles of Jesus healing the sick, the blind, the lame, and even raising the dead. And throughout the book of Acts, we've already seen a number of signs and miracles, but we'll see many more miracles of, being, of people being healed, people being struck dead, and people being delivered from prison. And in each and every one of these examples, the signs and wonders depended on the Savior's power. These miracles solely relied on the power of God. No person could perform these signs and wonders by their own ability. 
If I were to ask you to walk across the deepest and largest part of the Potomac River, even if I gave you a billion dollars, there'd be no way you could do it by your own ability. These signs and wonders completely depended on the power of God. And even though we should continue to depend on God for everything today, should we expect to see signs and wonders in the church today? Should we expect to see things like teeth turned to gold and people being slayed and, and passed out? Should we expect to see special miracle workers and healers able to heal people? Should this be part of the regular, normal, everyday Christian experience? If the gifts of sign and wonders do in fact continue today, God must desire for his church to pursue these gifts, and we should pursue and practice them. But do these gifts continue today? The Reformed tradition, the tradition our church and denomination falls in line with, would say no. Signs, wonders, and miracles, miracle workers and healers that we read about in the New Testament are limited to the early church. One very important thing that the early church didn't have that we have today is the New Testament. And this makes all the difference in the world. The New Testament wasn't yet written in the days of the early church, and that's when the gifts of signs and wonders existed because that's what the church needed. But after the New Testament was established, and because the New Testament was established, the gifts of signs and wonders were no longer needed. And that's when these gifts were largely discontinued. So for us here, uh, we shouldn't expect signs and wonders to be a part of the regular, everyday part of the life of the church. The signs and wonders that follow the Pentecost aren't a model for the church today, but rather they describe a unique time that occurred in the life of the church where the foundation was still being established. In other words, as Pastor Owen has said multiple times already, Signs and wonders are the Bible's description of the early church and not the prescription for the church today. But although the church, should not, uh, although the church today should not expect to see signs and wonders as part of the regular life of the church, the early church did see many signs and wonders. And as signs and wonders were performed at the early church, it adorned the gospel by showing their dependence on the Savior's power. But signs and wonders also adorned the gospel by second, demonstrating the Savior's authority. Our passage shows us to demonstrate the Savior's authority in a couple ways. First, it demonstrated the Savior's authority in the gospel messengers. And second, it demonstrated the Savior's authority for the gospel message. First, gospel messengers. Our specific passage tells us that signs and wonders were performed by the apostles. The word apostles literally means messengers. And that's because the apostles were the first messengers of the gospel. Verse 12 says that signs and wonders were regularly done by the hand of the apostles. None of the rest dared join them, but people held them in high esteem. Our passage tells us that the apostles were the only ones performing these miracles. And because of that, everyone else revered them. The apostles were different. 
And the apostle, and the book of Acts tells us that one of the ways the apostles were different was that they were the ones who performed these powerful signs and wonders. We even see the apostle Peter highlighted in our passage where people revered the apostles so much that they would even lay sick people out on the streets so that Peter's shadow might fall on some of them and maybe even heal them. But who else besides the apostles does the book of Acts tell us perform signs and wonders? Besides the 12 apostles and the apostles Paul and Barnabas, the book of Acts tells us that the only non-apostles who perform signs and wonders are Stephen and Philip. But Stephen and Philip were closely associated with the apostles as well. And all of these individuals were recognized leaders of this new Christian movement. In other words, they were the first messengers of the gospel. There are no other Christians the book of Acts names as having performed signs and wonders. So signs and wonders are almost exclusively restricted to the apostles in the book of Acts. Now, we do read elsewhere in the New Testament that there are others who probably had the gift of signs and wonders. 1 Corinthians 12, 28, uh, as Paul writes to the Corinthian church, he says that God appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. But Paul, he wrote this letter to the Korean church before the New Testament was established. In fact, Corinthians was one of Paul's earliest letters. And so there are still many more letters in the New Testament today that had yet still to be written. And so this all aligns to what I mentioned earlier, that the gifts of signs and wonders and people who were gifted as healers and miracle workers were mainly limited to the early church and specifically to individuals set apart as church leaders and gospel messengers before we had the gospel in written form. So why were signs and wonders limited to gospel messengers? Well, the context of our passage and where it fits into the broader picture of Acts is helpful here. Acts 1 tells us that the book of Acts is about the story of Jesus leading his people by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus' followers are to carry out the mission that Jesus gave them before he ascended to heaven. To, uh, to, uh, and their mission, and, and our, actually our mission, is to go out into the world and to invite all the nations to live under his rule and his reign, starting in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, then the rest of the world. And what we see in Acts 2 through chapter 7 is the Holy Spirit leading Jesus' followers to carry out his first part of this mission here in Jerusalem. So we're reading about the very beginning of the Christian movement. And one of the main purposes of signs and wonders the apostles performed was to show that the authority Jesus had as the Son of God and Savior of the world is the same authority now designated to the apostles as leaders of this new gospel movement. It was important in the life of the church as it was just beginning and its foundations was still being laid to have recognized leaders to lead the church. And before the New Testament was written and finalized, the church looked to the movement's leaders to give them the word of God. So signs and wonders demonstrate the Savior's authority in the gospel messengers as his messengers. Today, we don't look to church leaders in the same authoritative way. Only as they submit to the written word of God do we submit to our pastors and elders of the church. This shows us that signs and wonders, second, 
demonstrated the Savior's authority in the gospel message. Verse 14 tells us that more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of men and women. Signs and wonders drew crowds. It filled them with awe, but it did not save them. Only the gospel message could do that. And so the apostles performed signs and wonders. They also preached the gospel message as well. Signs and wonders confirmed that the, that the message the apostles preached was indeed the message of the true Savior. You see, signs and wonders were the accessories. The gospel message was the crown jewel. The reason the gospel is central to the life of our church, that it was central uh, to the life of the early church as well. What makes the church special is that it's been commissioned with the gospel message. Without the gospel message, there is no church. So what is the gospel message? The gospel message gives us the answer to this very broken world we live in. The world is broken, isn't it? We all experience it in different ways. We experience hurt, betrayal, disappointment, abuse. We get injured. We get sick. We fight with our spouses, our children, our friends. There's racism, sexism, classism. We see greed and corruption and violence. We see poverty and oppression and natural disasters. There's war. There's global pandemics. We get discouraged, we get depressed, and we even die. The world is a very broken place. Many of the signs and wonders the apostles performed met the needs of very broken people living in this very broken world. And the gospel tells us that the world is ultimately broken, that the root cause of all the brokenness is because of sin. Sin breaks our relationship with God, and because our relationship with God is broken, every other relationship under heaven is broken as well. But the good news is that God so loved the world and so loved you that God sent his son to give what you don't deserve and leave you in your brokenness. Um, he sent his son, and by his broken death and broken body, we now get restoration. God restores our relationship with himself. And one day when Jesus returns, our bodies will be restored. All relationships will be restored. And even all the brokenness we see around the world, creation itself will be restored as well. And everything will be more beautiful, having been broken and renewed. So if you're listening and you don't have a relationship with Jesus today, the gospel message is very good news for you. And it's as simple and uh, easy as ABC. All you have to do is to admit, believe, and confess. Admit because of sins. Believe this good news that Jesus died for you. And confess that Jesus is Lord. And just like we read in our passage, you will be added to the Lord as well. This is the gospel message, and it's the most important message in the world. 
And so it was so critical for this gospel message to be established as a true message of God and to demonstrate the Savior's authority in this message, God enabled the apostles with the gifts of signs and wonders to confirm the gospel message they preached. And as they preached, our passage tells us, the lost. The highest value of signs and wonders is when people believe and receive Jesus as their Savior and as their Lord, and are born again into God's family. This really is the greatest miracle of all. The authority of the Savior demonstrating the gospel messengers and the gospel message shows us that there is nothing more important than the gospel. The gospel is the foundation of the church, and as followers of Jesus, it really is everything. So, Understanding this, I'd like to briefly address two questions relevant to our passage. First, how important is the doctrine of charismatic gifts? And second, does God miraculously heal today? First, how important is the doctrine of charismatic gifts? All doctrines, all Christian doctrines are important, but not all doctrines are equally important. This means that not all doctrinal issues are a matter of heresy or orthodoxy. And this is something that we all need to be reminded of, especially now, perhaps, more than ever. The gospel and all issues relating to the gospel are really, really important. Theologians call this the doctrines of first importance. And you can't get this wrong, because if it impacts your salvation, then it's important that we're on the same page. Because if we're not, it's a deal breaker. We, we, we don't believe in the same Christian faith. We, don't, uh, we can't fellowship together as fellow believers. So we can't differ on things like the virgin birth or Jesus' uh, nature as human and divine or the resurrection. We have to be on the same page with doctrines like the Imago Dei, that all people are created in the image of God. So doctrines directly relating to the gospel are doctrines of first importance. But doctrines like the charismatic gifts are doctrines of secondary importance. Even though they're important, they're not as important as doctrines of first importance. What you believe about signs and wonders isn't going to impact your salvation. Which is why, even if you believe that charismatic gifts continue today, you can still be a faithful member of a church that you disagree with. And that's because we're still family. In fact, one of my best friends believed that charismatic gifts continue today. And if I were to get really sick, he'd be one of the first people I call to ask for prayer. So the doctrine of charismatic gifts and the gifts of signs and wonders are doctrines of secondary importance. Second, does God miraculously heal today? Yes, God can and does miraculously heal today, just like he did in the early church, because God still has the same authority today as he had in the times of the early church as well. Even though the gifts of signs and wonders don't continue today, this doesn't mean that miracles don't happen today. Miracles do happen, and that's because a miracle is simply God doing whatever he wants to do, right? He made this world, and he can do whatever he pleases to do in it. And because God has the authority to do whatever he pleases, God can choose to work 
in the form of miracles. This means that we should pray for miraculous healing, as the Bible calls us to do. If a family member is sick, you should pray that God would miraculously heal your loved one. If a friend's in a difficult situation, you should pray that God would miraculously provide for your friend. Now, this doesn't mean that God guarantees that he'll heal or provide, and it doesn't mean that we should avoid seeking medical advice or using practical wisdom, but the Bible calls us to pray. So we can and should pray for miracles to happen. We can and should pray that God would miraculously heal our sick friends and family. Because as we do, like the early church, these miracles adorn the gospel as it demonstrates our Savior's authority. And this leads us to our last point. Signs and wonders that the early church performed adorn the gospel by showing, third, devotion to the Savior's love. One way the apostles showed their devotion to their Savior's love was to perform signs and wonders. Verse 16 tells us that the people brought the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits. And and catch this part. They were all healed. The apostles spent tirelessly their time and energy to pursue the physical and spiritual restoration of the people around them because they were simply doing what Jesus did. The New Testament records 37 miracles of Jesus, and 28 of them were miracles of healing. Jesus' goal in healing people during his earthly ministry was to restore broken people both physically and spiritually. In Luke 7, we see that before Jesus heals the paralytic, Jesus tells him that your sins are forgiven. Jesus cared about both the physical and spiritual restoration for this broken man. And he he cares about this for people as well. Jesus healed people both inside and outside, their hearts and their bodies, their eternal souls and their earthly well-being. Jesus healed the whole person. And Jesus healed people because he loved people. Matthew 9 tells us Jesus proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. He loved them. Jesus loved people. And when sick people, lame people, blind people, demon-possessed people came to Jesus, he healed them all because Jesus loved them. And in our passage, we see his followers do the same thing. They loved the people they encountered. And when they were sick, they prayed for healing. And how amazing is it that our passage tells us that they were all healed. The Apostle Paul, speaking at length about the charismatic gifts in 1 Corinthians 13, tells the church, If I have faith so as to remove mountains, and I'll add here signs and wonders and even miracles of healing, but have not love, I am nothing. Loving people is everything when you follow Jesus. Many of us probably won't perform signs and wonders in our lifetime. Many of you probably won't work any miraculous healings. But if I can encourage you to remember just one thing from this sermon, it's this. Let's love 
people well. Let's love one another well. Jesus loved people. His apostles loved people. And the one thing we should be known for as his church, the body of Christ, is our love for one another. Of all people, we as a church can and ought to love one another well because we've been so well loved. So let's be breaths of fresh and life-giving air to one another. Let's love our CG members well. Let's love our central kids and central youth well. Let's love our elders and deacons well. Let's love one another well when we're sick, when we're going through hardship, when we lose loved ones, when there's nobody else that we can count on. Let's be a church where we can count on one another because we love one another. This is what the church is to be about. One of the main reasons we exist as a church, one of the main reasons we were here, here in Centerville, one of the main reasons we gather on Sundays in person and virtually today, one of the main reasons we scatter Monday through Saturday, one of the main reasons we're planting a church in Tyson's, one of the main reasons we want to see more churches everywhere, one of the main reasons God wants each of us to grow as his disciples is so that broken people, lost people, hurt people, sick, cynical, and unbelieving people can know our glorious Savior and know how much he loves them so that they too perhaps can be added to the Lord. The Savior wants the world to know and experience his gracious love, and the way he does that is through the church. It's through us. It's through you. So we have to start here, loving one another and sharing this love with others. And at the end of your life, if all your life amounts to is a pursuit of your own comforts, your own successes, your own accomplishments or reputations, that would have been a sad and empty life. But if at the end of your life, it, your life was filled with helping people, encouraging people, supporting and serving and befriending people, loving people, if it's been filled with people, no matter how rich or poor you are, you would have lived a very full life. So Christ Central, let's live full lives. Let's love people well because our Savior loved us well. Amen. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you, Jesus, that because of your grace, we're now part of your family, your body, the church. So help us as a church to love one another and to love those who are hurting and are on the outside so that they might know your grace as well. For your name and the sake of your kingdom. Amen. Amen. Would you